Okay, welcome, Dee. I'm so excited to have you. Um, I read a little bit about what you do, and I can say that you are the first of your kind on this show. So, do you want to take a second? <laughs> take a second. Um, talk about your military experience and what you're doing now. Just a little bit of background, so we can get to know you. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. Um, I was in the Navy for eight years and I was an Intel specialist and um, it was so much fun being in the Navy. Um, I had a great time. I have, um, you know, lifelong friends um, that I still keep in touch with um, from, from those days, which for me was more than 20 years ago. That's all I'll say. <laughs> it was a long time ago, but it was fun. Um, and uh, Intel you know, unless you're going to go work for the government, doesn't transfer super well directly as a uh, profession into the civilian world. And it was a big adjustment um, to go from civilian to, or, or to go from military to civilian world. I think everybody who uh, spends any time in the military has a tough adjustment. But yeah. so what I do now is I'm the president of Davis Consulting Management Group and the president of Yellowstone Professional Education. So uh, we serve the construction industry. So I'm a mechanical engineer um, and a certified energy manager. And I work in the construction industry, mostly in very large commercial and industrial clients. And uh, it's a lot of fun. That's so cool. I have so much to learn because I don't know anything about like engineering or um construction my dad poured concrete growing up but that is a completely different um realm than i'm sure what you do um can you touch a little bit on like how you got into this career path i guess how long after leaving the navy did you get into construction world it took a little bit so mm -hmm. uh, i tend to get bored very very easily um, which was one of the reasons why the military is great because, uh, it's never a dull moment in the military. Yeah, same. And, um, when I got out, I found that I was having a hard time finding a career that would fit me and that would suit me well. I considered law enforcement. My, I come from a law enforcement family. I considered that. I considered government service and a number of other things. And I ended up doing real estate and escrow and, you know, things having to do with real estate. And that was fun, but it wasn't, it wasn't where I was meant to be. So um, I kind of fell into construction by accident. My dad was a civil engineer, but I was never that great at math. Like it was the one subject that I always struggled with. And I love telling this part of my story because for all of you out there who think I can't do that, it's too hard. I'm not good at math. I don't like math. That was me. <laughs> that was me. Um, all through school, I you know, through, through high school, I avoided math as much as possible because it was the one thing I had to work hard at. And, um, I met somebody that had a general contracting business and just said, you know, look, I think you're going to be good at this. I want to teach you. And uh, I started learning carpentry and how to read plans and, um, and all of that stuff. And I found that in applying it directly in the field, you know, using a tape measure out in the field, all of a sudden math became easier. 
because it mm -hmm. was directly applicable to something I was doing. So I kind of fell into construction sort of by accident. I didn't really um, think I was ever going to be there. And um, it was probably four or five years after I got out when I found my calling. And uh, it just, as soon as I got there, I knew that's exactly where I was supposed to be. And it's yeah. been a great journey. That's awesome. So now it looks like you don't do as much hands-on work. Can you explain what you've grown <laughs> <into> now? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do miss and loved my years uh, swinging a hammer in the field. It was it was really fun. There's nothing like working outside and, and building something with your hands. But um, I'm, you know, physically, I started having some issues um, with tendonitis in my arms, you know, holding a hammer all the time. And um, so I started, you know, doing more of the, I guess you would call it the administration side um, of it. And I went to work for a general, con a big general contracting company and um, started really getting into what it's like to run large projects, you know, projects that are 50 million, 100 million, 300 million dollar projects. And I really enjoyed the challenge. And um, I got an offer from a mechanical contracting company to come and work for them. And I said, oh, I don't think you understand. I'm a carpenter. And they said, well, we'll teach you. You'll learn. And I loved it instantly. Within the first year, I signed up for engineering courses and um, went back to school. And I worked during the day and went to school at night. And uh, it was very challenging. But not as difficult as I would. It was challenging because I had a lot to balance. By then, I already had a family. So I was mom and wife and, um, you know, full-time employee and student all at the same time. And I think the Navy really helped prepare me for juggling all those those balls and those roles because, you know, we're asked in the military to do so many different things at once. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, I, I went back to school and um, that was that was it. Um, I've I've been managing large projects for years and years, and it's really fun. That's amazing. Can you define what's your definition of a large project? Oh, that's a really good question because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have I've worked on everything from a. Uh, home improvement type project to, you know, adding some square footage to people's mm -hmm. homes all the way through doing a $800 million project, just shy of a billion dollars. Um, so my definition of a large project is 150 to a billion dollars. And that doesn't even meet some people's definition of a large project. Some people it's billions. Wow. Okay. What kind of, um, are you allowed to say like what you were building that was $800 million? Sure. Yeah. I can't talk in a lot of detail about all of my projects. Some of them right. are a little bit confidential, but um, yeah, they, I've done two projects that were five to 800 million that were large hospitals. Um, they wow. were brand new, like 10 story, enormous, um, 500,000 square foot hospital. Those were uh, volume-wise, dollar-wise, the biggest projects that I've done. And where are you located again? I live primarily in Colorado. Okay. Um, 
I am coming to you today from San Diego, California. Nice. Um, I have, uh, I was born and raised here in San Diego. And so we, we have a place here and we come for the holidays every year. Oh, cool. So you're going to be family. staying in San Diego through Thanksgiving then? Through Christmas. Yeah. Oh, to see awesome. family. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Um, did you, so I guess I'm going to jump all over the place and go back to growing up in San Diego. What, how has that been? Cause, uh, I lived in San Diego for four years oh. and I, or, and I saw it grow right in front of my eyes. I couldn't imagine like growing up there and then coming back. What's, <laughs> what's your experience been seeing San Diego change so much? Well, I think people who haven't lived here maybe have a specific idea of San Diego. Whenever you see a picture of San Diego or people talk about San Diego, they think about the beach. Mm -hmm. um, I have lived on, on or near the beach before in San Diego, but mostly I've lived in the country towns, in the mountains, um, more inland. And uh, so I grew up on a couple of acres and we had you know, horses and goats and dogs and cats and all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. Um, and that's where my, my house uh, in San Diego is in the mountains. And, uh, you know, very rural area has grown up a lot. The little town that yeah. I grew up in has housing developments and um, much busier than it was. I, I grew up on, on roads that I grew up riding my horse on dirt roads and you know, back, back roads and stuff. They're all paved and have houses now. So mm -hmm. it's a lot. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't imagine just, I lived in, um, La Mesa and I feel like I was mm. like, I was still in like the city kind of, but just a little removed from the San Diego, like proper, I guess. But, um, right. yeah, that it's, I think people forget that like, there's still so much once you get like 10 miles inland from the coast it's so mm -hmm. much more like rural and scenic mountains open land yeah there's some really beautiful spots in san mm -hmm. diego and i'm fortunate to you know be able to call one of them home yeah um, so yeah it's it's very nice to have a, a nice quiet place to go um did you join the navy from san diego i did um, oh, okay yeah and, and i yeah i went to where was your orlando yeah, okay. Orlando. Yeah. Back in the day, um, uh, there <laughs> we had multiple um, locations. Only one for women uh, at that time. That women went to Orlando. Um, but yeah, we had sister companies and brother companies um, in our training because it was uh, both men and women in Orlando. Very cool. And your like the group that you trained with was all females okay. in, in boot camp. Well, at least when I was in, I don't know what they're doing now, but in boot camp, when I was in, it was, you have a, a your company was either all women or all men. And then we had companies that we would kind of group together with. And I still remember my company number K one, two, six. I don't know why I can't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is one of those things that stays ingrained in your brain. Um, when I went through, I went to boot camp in 2013 and it was integrated. Um, so we. Your company was integrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was oh. Navy too, if we didn't, if you didn't know that already. Um, but, and that everything was in Great Lakes, but we did um, our, we called it brother division was integrated as well. So the females from our brother div would sleep in the same compartment as the females in my division. And then every morning when we would train, we did this like procedure for 
the women and men to swap. And then the guys from our division would come into our like compartment, like our sleeping area. And we do our training in there. And then at the end of the day, they'd swap back. And then we would do our like, you know, showering and sleeping was all the women together, but all the training was um, men and women together. That is different. Uh, It's been a long time. Yeah. I couldn't imagine I would have boot camp would have been miserable if there were like 80 women all training together all the time because just trying to get through sleeping at night with 80 women in the same room was rough like what was what was that experience like going through boot camp with all women oh well I can tell you I didn't sleep a lot um yeah so I I was let's see I was starboard watch um, okay. In my in my uh, boot camp company, and um, it's a rough one. <laughs> yeah, I was I was besties with Port Watch, and we're still in touch. And, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, and I was the first one up every morning, and I was the last one to bed every night. And I learned to sleep with my eyes open, um, just because it was just a function of I actually learned to sleep standing up. Um, Same. and with my yeah. eyes open, I think that's <laughs> yeah. probably true for a lot of people in boot camp. And, uh, yeah, I, I was exhausted. Um, but that's, I think everybody was exhausted. We had a, we had a mm-hmm. few gals in our company who were amazing singers. One of them was actually going to the Navy choir when she got out oh, of boot cool. camp. And sometimes at night, you know, after lights out, they would sing for us. And that was always kind of neat. Um, oh, that's yes, really cool. It's a, it's a lot of women in the same space. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I clearly remember like the first week, I want to say, of us just like some trying to get along at night and people just yelling at each other from their bunks and there was always like this two people fighting and someone else trying to be the key the peacekeeper and I'm, <laughs> I remember just laying in my bed in boot camp like how can I sleep with this going on like I'm not going to get involved I was 18 and <laughs> I was like I just need to sleep I just need to get through this <laughs> and I don't know how to handle all these women yeah I I Definitely. It was the first time I'd ever been exposed to that many women at once. Um, growing mm-hmm. up, I, I have a brother and a sister, and I definitely had some girlfriends growing up, but a lot of my friends were guys. Uh, some of my best friends were guys growing up. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have a lot of experience hanging out with large groups of women like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it was an experience. Um, it's It's a definitely a blur at this point it was not only so long ago but sleep deprived on top of it yeah I Um, don't remember much of boot camp either yeah I remember running a lot I remember doing a lot of push-ups I remember getting cycled what's getting cycled what does that mean oh that was a term that we used when they would make us do like um a whole bunch of uh, it's a it's a punishment (laughs) and uh when you screwed up or somebody screwed up and everybody would get in trouble, um, they would call it cycling and, um, you would have to do a whole bunch of jumping jacks, sit-ups, push-ups. Yeah. I I can't. Yeah. I was going to say, I can't hear you. I can see you talking, but I can't hear you. Oh, can you hear me now? I can. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, you like froze for a second and I couldn't tell when you were done. You were that done. Um, yeah, we called getting cycled. Um, I think it was called IT'd and I don't remember what that stands for. I think it's like instructional training and it was just a way to say you're going to get beat basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like the RDCs, the instructors had a card, like a size of like a business card with all of the approved things that they could make us do. And they could run through the card. Yeah, they could run through the card twice. But they would, like, find loopholes. Like, they would make an individual run through the card. And then their bunkmate would run through the card with the individual. Like, it was just, I'm sure nothing like what you experienced. It just, it gets easier and easier the more, (laughs) like, politically correct and everything that it has to go. But um, they definitely still found a way to torture us, (laughs) for sure. Mm -hmm. And it it wasn't punishment. It was uh, instructional. And that's how they got away with it. Well, that um, sounds like what, a very different Navy than the one I joined, but it's going to happen like over signs time. On the, yeah, there were signs on the walls that said something about, like, how cursing isn't effective leadership. And the RDCs would, like, cuss us out and then point at the sign that says cursing isn't effective <laughs> leadership. And they, they'd be like, I know I'm breaking the rule. F you. And just, like, it was funny. <laughs> but hmm. I don't even know if they do that now. Um what different duty stations did you go to while you were in? I was in, well, I was in, I trained in Florida. I was in Virginia. I went to a school in um, Damneck, Virginia. And then um, I went, I was at headquarters Marine Corps for a little bit. And then I transferred out to San Diego. <laughs> Believe it or not, I got sent back to mm-hmm. San Diego. And um, I was out at Coronado for a little while. So um, I was attached to SEAL teams for a number of years. And oh, cool. um, yeah, that was some really cool duty. Got to do some really fun and cool stuff. So yeah, I did that. And then I got out when my daughter was born or right around the time my daughter was born. And that was my eight years. What was, um, was your daughter being born the reason that you decided to leave? Yeah, so I had a son too. My son is two years older than my daughter, but um, my ex-husband was also in the Navy. He was a corpsman. And um, at one point they sat us down and said, okay, you need to fill out this form that tells us, uh, and this is, it's a timing thing too. So to help you with the time frame, I joined in 1989 and I did oh yeah i was in hawaii as well for a while um but i did uh you know we had desert shield desert storm in the early 90s and my daughter was born in 90 i'm trying to think get the kids mixed up 94 <laughs> 96 oh my goodness um and so they they sat us down and said you need to fill out a form that says when we get deployed because we were getting ready to go to war again um who's going to raise your kids? And I said, nobody, (laughs) nobody's raising my kids, but me. So that was when I decided not to re-up. Yeah. No, that's a hard decision. They call it a family care plan now. And everyone with kids has to fill it out on like, what, what are you going to do when the military is your number one priority? Basically that Mm -hmm. is hard. One girl I worked with. um, So you were never assigned to a ship, correct? 
Not, no, not full-time. I'd been on several ships and small deployments, okay. but I never was assigned to one. Okay. But um, basically, once we started doing workups, um, which for like anyone listening that doesn't know what workups are, it's like the ship going out several times, well, dozens of times in a year, basically, to get ready for deployment. And um, once we started doing workups, there was a girl I worked with. She was um, an E6 when I was an E3. And she had to send her two kids home to Florida so that her mom could watch them for like two years. And that was heartbreaking just to witness all of that going on. But she knew that's like what would be the best thing to give her children the most stable um, home life, basically, even though it meant being away from her. But that had to have been hard because she was a single mother at the time, too. Oh, brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's something I definitely didn't think about <laughs> being young yeah. and not thinking about things all the way through, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having me and my ex-husband both in at the same time, it, I just never thought about it and mm-hmm. until they put the paper in front of us. And I said, oh, heck no. Um, yeah. Looking back now, it seems obvious that we should have thought of that. But, you know, our country at that time, you know, had been at peace for more or less, um, for quite a while. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I was in a very deployable position and as was my ex-husband. Um, what was it like being a woman working with Navy SEALs? Um, I can't talk a lot about that, but, um, all I can tell you is I got to do some super cool stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Did you feel like, I guess just from, um, the, like, fact that you're a woman working around a Navy SEALs, which at that time, no women were allowed to be even trained to be a SEAL. Um, Like, did you experience any, like, inequalities or anything because you were a woman in that environment? Or did you feel like you had to work extra hard for people to, like, respect you? And I know being in an intel job, it's not as, like, physically demanding. But I'm curious if there was any um, situations like that. It's mostly intellectual job, although I would, I was detached to the Marine Corps for a number of years as well. And I would go out onto the field for periods of time with the Marines. Um, you know, yes, the job isn't really, you know, a physical job. I'm, you know, I was trained in a lot of the physical things, but that wasn't my definition of my, of my job. So mm-hmm. I did not really, yes, I definitely always felt like I had to work hard to earn respect. And I was very often the only female. Um, And I would just sleep on the floor in the barracks, you know, (laughs) or I'd sleep on the on the ground in the field like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, there was, yes, it was certainly only one bathroom anywhere, you know, when we were um, in any of the barracks or anything. And everybody was really cool with me about it you know I would just go into the one with the door and if I heard somebody come in I go I'm in here and you stay or go it's up to you but Mm -hmm. I'm warning you it's a good approach to have as long as you kind of got to deal with it as if you're the only woman and it's a male dominant area you just accept the fact that there might be a dude next to you using the restroom and you know, yeah. give them the warning and then it's up to them if they feel like doing their business around you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I was very, I guess, fortunate because I did not have problems in that regard. Um, I'm not saying I didn't have people that I did definitely have people that um, maybe didn't immediately give me any respect or, you know, made me work really hard for it or, mm-hmm. you know, were there comments, were there situations? Of course there were. But I never let any of it really ruffle me and I didn't have some of the problems that I've heard other women having. I never had anybody misbehave in a physical way. Um, yeah. You know, I never had anybody touch me inappropriately or um, anything like that. They were more like my brothers. Um, most mm-hmm. of them were really protective of me, if anything. And they were like brothers. And it mm-hmm. was, I couldn't think of them in any other way. And I don't think they could think of me as anything other than their little sister. Right. Do you think that's because you were in um like a fast paced, like, you know, working in a, I'm not sure the word I'm trying to come up with, but like working in that like kind of extreme environment, do you think that the um, opportunity for anything to go badly just wasn't there because you were working with all of these like high caliber, like seals and just high operational people? Or like, what do you think was like the reason that you didn't have negative experiences? I, I don't want anything that I say to come off like victim blaming because I would never do that. Right. I, yeah. You know, so take that in the context for, um, you know, anything I say in that context. But I think, and, and I, you know, I, I've honestly experienced more problems in the construction industry than I ever experienced in, in the military. Um, I think part of that is because to some degree, people in the military at least think there's going to be consequences for bad behavior. Um, and I definitely know there's lots of stories out there where that's not true. But mm-hmm. um, I think that people are aware that there very much could be negative and, and career-ending consequences for bad behavior. Um, but I also think that as women, how we respond to situations matters. So when I have a man, this doesn't happen to me so much now that I'm older, but when I was younger, it did, you know, men would come up to me and they would get right in my face and they'd start screaming at me and calling me every name in the book. And again, this was more like construction than, than military. I just stand there and look at them. I didn't get emotional. I didn't respond really in any way. Um, and when they were done having their temper tantrum, I would say, are you done? <laughs> and it kind of deflates them because they're usually when, when a man gets in a woman's face like that, they're, they're going for a reaction. And if you let them smell blood in the water, it, it, it's like, it's, it's bad. <laughs> they're going to yeah. just keep going and they're going to keep right. coming after you because it's just bullying behavior really. Um, and so the worst thing you can do to a bully is take the wind out of their sails. And you Mm -hmm. show them that you're not afraid and you're not intimidated um, by not responding. Now, have I had somebody grab me inappropriately? Sure did. Turned around and whacked them um, and said, don't you ever touch me like that again. And it never Mm -hmm. happened again. Have I had people whistling and catcalling at me? Not very often, but it has happened. And I just pretend like I don't hear it. It's not very much fun if you're not getting a reaction. So that would be my advice to any women that 
are in these male-dominated industries or environments, if someone's behaving badly and inappropriately, don't react. Don't give them that power and that pleasure of getting a reaction out of you because that's all yeah. they're really trying to do for the most part. And if anybody crosses a line, you know, if somebody would have grabbed me twice, I would have, I would have reported them. Happened one time. I let them draw the line, let them know it's not okay. And it never happened again. So I think how we respond, and again, I'm not trying to say that if something really bad happened to you in your situation, that the fact that it happened to you is your fault. That is not at all what I'm saying. It's right. never your fault. It's always the perpetrator's fault. But we can prevent a lot of it from escalating by how we um, act and react or maybe don't react. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's a hard way to word it too. And I think you did a very good job at um, job at explaining that. Um, I get like a, a big um, like question or this like internal conflict that I have about women in the military and just like the negative things that can happen to them. And I am constantly thinking about like, what's the answer to prevent these things from happening to women. And I'm always thinking about like, what can I tell women in the military to do so that this stuff doesn't, that's literally like the opposite way. I, I should be thinking the opposite way. And same thing when like sexual assault um, training started become becoming more popular in the Navy, it started off with like, here's how to not get assaulted. And then it slowly turned into here's how to not assault someone and come <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, this is what assault is and it's bad. And if you are like in a situation, try these things to get out of it. But, um, and that's the exact mindset that I think all of us need to like, try to be more mindful of is like, instead of thinking about how can we act better so that we don't get hurt someone in general, not just women. Um, and just thinking, like, how can we recognize signs of someone that would cause the hurt and preventing that and protecting, like, stopping the perpetrator instead of teaching the victim how to defend themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. the society, in our society, um, women are always the cause of the problem. <laughs> From the time we're born, yeah. we're taught that everything's our fault and that you know, all blame is assigned to women for absolutely everything, um, all the way back to the Bible, right? It's Eve's fault. Yeah. She ate the apple. And it's really hard. I'm actually a certified sexual assault counselor. Um, oh, and very I, cool. I did that as a, a volunteer um, sexual assault crisis counselor for a number of years. And it's it's really tough. And, you know, and I just want to say um, out loud in words, you know, women aren't the only ones that can be sexually assaulted um, yeah. percentage wise. Um, great, you know, certainly uh, greater percentage of women, but, you know, men are sexually assaulted as well. And um, it's not, it's about power and control. And we have to teach both sides of it because there are certainly higher risk situations that um, any person can be put in. And 
I, I mean, I, I mentioned I was from a law enforcement family. My mom was a sheriff. And so I was taught from the time I was knee high to a grapevine not to put myself in dangerous situations. And, you know, I mean, growing up in a house with guns and all that, not that kind of dangerous situation, but the kind of dangerous situation where someone could take advantage of me, get hurt. And, and now yeah. we have to think about it in such different terms. Like, you know, you're, you're at a bar, you got to watch your drink. Don't let anybody buy a drink for you or, or bring mm -hmm. you a drink, you know, um, or leave it unattended. Um, and it's terrible that we have to think like that. But those are steps that we have to take to protect ourselves because yeah. we can only be responsible for our behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and when we teach these kinds of things, that's exactly what we're teaching the men also, you're responsible for your behavior. It is not up to the woman or the other person to decide how this is going to go. You decide how it's going to go. So right. we do have to teach both sides, but it's really hard not to make that sound like you're blaming the victim. No, that was a perfect way to put it too, that at the end of the day, you can only control your actions and just doing things to not put yourself in sticky situations. Like from as early as I can remember, I remember my mom and dad telling me like, always park in a lit area. If you're going to be in a parking garage, make sure you have it memorized where you parked so that you're not like walking around in the parking garage looking for your car. And um, if you need to like pass the house because you think a car is following you, then pass the house and take a little road trip, you know, and um, like never walk with your hands in your pockets or make sure your purse is secured to your body so that if someone tries to steal it, it's hard or like wear baggy clothing or a big coat so that it's harder for a kidnapper to catch you. Like all of these things go through my head literally every time I leave the house. like. What am I wearing? Can I run away from someone in these shoes? Or do I have shoes I can change into in my car to run away from someone in? Like, just the amount of thought that goes into my head before I leave the house about my own safety is a laundry list. And um, I'm curious if men have a similar list, or if they do, how much smaller it is, because they don't really have to think about, like, being taken going to work one day, you know, there's, there's actually been some studies done on that. Oh, um, really? There have been. And, um, you know, there were, uh, men and women were asked to write down just exactly what you just described. All the things that you think about when you're by yourself or you're out, it's, it's dark. You're walking, you're like, what are you thinking about? How do you mm -hmm. protect yourself? What kind of safety measures do you take? And the women have a very long list. Like, a lot of the stuff that you just rattled off and yeah. even more things and men just were puzzled at the question because most men don't think about those kinds of things they're they're not raised to think about those kinds of things society doesn't demand that they think about those kinds of things um, when you watch dateline they're they're not the subject matter <laughs> right women are um yeah so it's, it's really funny. I, I even, I was cracking up not too long ago. One of my friends that I hike with, um, is this big six foot four large guy. And, um, we were talking about bears, you know, we were hiking in the mountains and we were talking about bears and I said something about, you know, oh yeah, when I'm hiking by myself, you know, I think about bears and I, you know, try to carry my bear spray and he just kind of laughed and he goes, I never think about bears. And <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that's the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, although a bear would probably have a much better chance at, uh, you know, getting me than, than him because he's yeah. twice my size. <laughs> but <laughs> I it, it recalled um, some of that research that um, mm -hmm. I read about in that same thing. I don't think men give it much thought. No, I have gone as far to change my parking spot before because my driver door opened up to the um, side door in like a big conversion van and I just didn't feel mm. good about it. And I mm -hmm. pulled out and parked next to like a little car because I knew like it'd be harder for them to for a kidnapper to get me in that door than this big door of a conversion van. And it's just I'm not like walking around scared of the world, but it's just these are the thoughts that go through my head every time I do something and um if I like go to pick up something from um Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace I take my dog with me and she is a 70 pound German Shepherd and she's got a good bark on her she's a little baby but no one has to know that <laughs> and you're braver than me I I won't do those things I'm like oh nope. really if uh -uh. if I go by myself I do it during the day and it's a neighborhood that I either know or I do like a pickup and then I bring my dog with me and um I usually tell her not to bark at people but I let her bark when I pick up stuff and um yeah and then I wear tennis shoes so I can run and I'm it's um, like you've been well trained <laughs> my yeah, mom my have, mom would um, be very proud of you <laughs> thank you my um <laughs> Well, I grew up in Ohio, kind of small town, like Midwest, sheltered a little bit. And then moving to California, my parents were very much like, we're going to make sure that we feel like you're safe when you're on the other side of the country. So they, lots of lectures and, you know, they stuck. Um, do you have like, I know a big part of um, what you wanted to talk about was like just being like a kind of a powerhouse as a woman in a male dominated industry. What are you still pretty outnumbered in your current field that you're in right now? Yes, but um, I do have to say the numbers have changed a lot in the last 20 years, okay. um, especially in the last, you know, 10 or 12 years, I would say. Oh, I can't hear you. Sorry. Let me mark that again. Um, what's, what's your experience like, or like, what's the change that you think you've noticed? Well, when I first started in the industry a little over 25 years ago, construction industry, um, I was always the only woman, um, on a construction site, um, whether I was out in the field swinging a hammer or I was in the office trailer doing, um, project engineering, project management stuff. I was always the only woman on the job. Um, maybe once in a great while we would have a field office secretary working for the general contractor or something like that. That would be about it. I remember one of the earliest trade leadership women that I can remember was this uh, electrician named Maria. And she was the foreman um, for an electrical contractor that I was working with. And I did several jobs with her. And that was probably 16 years ago. And she was one of the first tradespeople that was of the female persuasion that was in a leadership position that I can remember mm -hmm. on, on major um, large size construction jobs. And um, I, she was just very humble and a very hard worker. And I just, I just always found her so inspirational from afar. You know, she was just killing it out there. She was doing a great job. Everybody loved her, respected her. Um, 
And, you know, now I walk into a job site trailer. So I have a, a job that I'm working on right now uh, here locally in San Diego. I walk into the job site trailer and it's probably 20% female. That's um, not horrible. No, it's great. I yeah. mean, compared to the 0%, <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and the gals that are in that trailer are all in leadership positions. Um, they're, they're leading engineering teams. They're, you know, um, leading meetings. They, they are in charge. Um, and they are, they're killing it. They're doing a fantastic job. Um, the job that I finished last year, I bet you, uh, I was probably closer to 40% female on that job. We had female, um, trade leads on that job. We had, uh, engineers, project managers, you know, we had all kinds of women that were in leadership positions. The head of engineering was, was all the lots of lots of women. Um, so it depends on the job and it probably depends on the environment a little bit, but a huge difference um, yeah. from even 10 or 15 years ago. I was reading, um, I, I just, I feel like I get information from so many sources. I can't remember what I heard it from, but um, there's something along the lines that like the woman brain can just handle like, not just organization, but like kind of on the project management side of things and just like visualization and then putting the tasks, you know, in order and just like kind of getting things done, but more on like the administrative and mental side. And then the, you know, men are better at like physically getting things done. So um, that's really cool to hear that like women are kind of growing into those roles in um, more like what you would consider male dominant industries. Yeah, I can tell you. In fact, we were just talking about this on uh, one of my projects the other day. We were waiting for some people to come into the meeting, and I was talking um, with some of the guys, and uh, we were talking about how, um, yeah, how there's so many women in leadership positions on this project and how different it is because most of us are a little bit older, and so we've seen it uh, evolve over the years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said, you know, women are naturally, and I'm, again, this is statistically, better at problem solving, multitasking, organizational skills, planning, all the things you need to be a project yep. manager um, and, and a good project engineer as well. So um, it's not surprising that women are killing it in these roles in the industry mm-hmm. because they are very good at these things statistically. One of the things that I see men really struggling with is multitasking. Um, and I always find it kind of personally satisfying. I'm a great multitasker. I love multitasking. And uh, there's been a lot of studies done on um, multitasking in general and how effective people can be in multitasking. Um, and I think definitely it's a person to person thing and, Mm -hmm. uh, women statistically are better at that. So it's a good thing in construction. What tasks do you find that in construction beyond the physical, I guess, that men are better at still? Men are, are also good, very good at problem solving. Um, I think you know, and of course it depends person by person, but there's a lot of men that I've worked with that are really good at like 3D visualization. I guess I don't know any other way to say that. I'm not as great at 3D visualization. It's it's something I struggle with. 
Mm-hmm. But a lot of men can look and they can build it in their head. My husband yeah. is one of them. So my husband was a pipe fitter for 37 years. And um, he can take, he can look at a plan and he can figure out how to build and organize the entire space in his head before anything gets put on paper. No, that's really good. Now that you said that, I can picture like my stepdad um, used to rehab houses and then my boyfriend's father as well. Um, and he can walk into our house and be like, this is what you need to do in this space. Tear down this wall and put a little bar right here and just like, and he'll say it. And I am just mind blown. And the current um, house we live in is a townhome. And he helped my boyfriend remodel it before me and him got together. And they showed me pictures of the house before they remodeled. And you would have never guessed, at least I wouldn't, I don't, I'm not good at that stuff. I'm not good at like visualizing things that don't exist. (laughs) And, Uh um, I was like, how did you guys know to do this? And his dad looked at me and he was like, it's easy. You can't just, you just see it and you can tell what needs to be done. And I was like, well, that is an amazing gift that you have, sir, because I do not have that. I don't have that either. (laughs) I think, I I think generally men are much better at that. Yeah. That's, it's crazy that like our brains are, I'm just fascinated by all that stuff. Just the different strengths that you have literally based on being a a man or a woman. But um, do you find like being in a leadership role? So something I struggled with in like military leadership was, I had to like flip this switch when I went to work from, I can't put it any other way than just kind of being a little heartless. (laughs) And, um, do you feel like you have to, that you've ever struggled with that switch from like, you can't be too empathetic and just kind of putting the hammer down, um, figuratively not that wasn't a construction (laughs) joke (laughs) i think it was though yeah yeah. i think you made a good construction joke i'm a very um, i tend to be kind of a black and white person by nature Mm -hmm. and i've had to work on the gray um and i think that was one of the things that i struggled with coming out of the military everything's so black and white in the military yeah and I think that suited me very well because I think that's kind of my nature. One of my really difficult adjustments coming out of the military was realizing that the world isn't black and white and that Mm -hmm. there is a lot of gray and learning to empathize with that gray and step back in, in my leadership role and step back and think about all the perspectives and not be so precise. Um, yeah. I still struggle with it sometimes. Um, I, I, one of my, I remember <laughs> I was working on a job site and I was very frustrated with some vendors that I was working with. And I wasn't that long out of the military, really. It took me a long time to work the military stuff out, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Working with these vendors and I would say, okay, I need this thing by Tuesday. And Tuesday would come and go and they just didn't do it. And then I'd call them up and I'd say, hey, where's where's the thing? And they would just say, oh, yeah, I didn't get to that. Uh, I'll, I'll do it next week. And that would get me really upset um, because I just, the military doesn't work like that. You know, yeah. you say something's due Tuesday, it better be done at least by Tuesday, if not before. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I remember getting really mad and I remember my boss taking me aside and saying, look, you have got to, to just take a breath. And this is not the military. People are not going to, you, you can't command them to do things. <laughs> you can't command results. Yeah. You have to work with people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I would say that I had problem with the opposite, that I had to, to really like take it back a few notches. And I, I have been accused very recently of being rigid, um, you know, um, on, on a project. You know, I had somebody say to me, you are so rigid. Why can't you be more flexible? And I thought, you know, this is me being flexible. <laughs> but... <laughs> That, I don't know what that says about me, but, um, you know, I, I'm also, a lot of my clients, uh, I work in environments that are not flexible. Um, they're, they're GMP or, you know, FDA regulated environments and things have to be done a certain way, mm -hmm. which is, I think, why I'm attracted to that kind of work because it's pretty black and white. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's really only a couple of right ways to do things. And, um, it takes a lot to me, it just takes a lot of the questions out of it. There's just, you just know what to do and you just do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I would say that I'm, for me, it was the opposite, but I could see, you know, most, most women are, I would say most, I don't even want to say most women, that might not even be fair, but a lot of people are um peacemakers right yeah they they want everybody to be happy they don't want conflict and uh, so it's it's natural for people who are peacemakers to have a hard time making decisions or have a hard time having hard conversations with coworkers with colleagues with subordinates because you have to have conflict you have to mm -hmm. have, you know, you have to talk about the hard things. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I just love to talk to people about because one of my favorite sayings is if that conversation is making you really feel icky and just be like, ooh, I don't want to have this conversation. That's how you know it's important. That's mm -hmm. how you know it has to be done. Yeah. Because those conversations, they have to be done in, a, in the correct way and in a respectful way. Um, but they have to be had, um, yeah. especially when you're in a leadership position. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that made me think about like, I completely agree with you. And I had the hardest time in my early years in the Navy, like figuring out how to put the, um, peacemaking aside and just being like more becoming more black and white and, um, just being able to say like, no, this is the way we're doing things and having those hard conversations. And I remember right before I would go to like counsel a sailor and I had to get, I had to like make myself mad <laughs> because I wouldn't be able, I couldn't just go in there. Like I'm typically a laid back, happy person. And I couldn't just go in there and be like, you are really bad at your job. And like, no one's going to take you seriously. So I would really have to give myself this like pep talk before going in so that I would be able to be like stern and hold my ground and have like, I would think of all of these rebuttals that they would have. And anyway, I had to teach myself how to be more like black and white, like you were saying. And now that I'm out of the military and I'm in like 
the most creative, happy, um, free-flowing career field being a wedding photographer. I'm unlearning everything I just was for 10 years in the Navy. And now I, I'll catch myself talking to like wedding planner or the DJ and I'll just be like, no, that's not what we're doing. And I'll be like, I'm sorry. Yes. Whatever you want. <laughs> I'm chill. I can go with the flow. Like <laughs> just this little, this, I'm still, I'm only, what month is this? November. I'm two and a half months out. Um, so I'm, it is a struggle because you just can't, for like you said, most civilians, you can't just like talk to them like you talk to people in the military. They don't respond well to it. And um, one of my close photography friends, she used to be a police officer. So she gets it and I can like vent to her and um, we can both talk to each other pretty direct and bluntly. But like if I talk to another photographer that's like some high school student or college student being a wedding photographer... It's just a whole new world that you have to adapt to. Well, I would say don't let it go entirely. I mean, yeah. it's it's a good skill set to be able to draw on mm -hmm. with any relationship because, yeah. you know, we have to be able to communicate succinctly with people from all of our walks of life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you may find yourself in a situation where you're dealing with a planner or a photographer or you know the photographer or whatever that is very pushy you know maybe they just have a pushy nature and you mm -hmm. know you can't you can't let yourself be run over either yeah um, and you know no, to and maintain that's... good relationships in your in your personal relationships you know mm -hmm. you've gotta you know gotta stand yeah, up for yourself a little my... bit yeah I absolutely I agree with you and I tell um my couples like on their wedding day I'll be like look Whatever you need done, especially if there isn't a planner, because not everyone can afford to have a wedding planner. Um, I'll be like, if you need someone to tell the florist that their arrangement looks horrible, let me be that person, not you. Like, yeah. let me be the bad guy, because I have no problem telling you straight up how it is, even if I might be fracturing a relationship with someone else because my number one priority is to take care of the couple on that day and yeah or like if you need me to yell at your uncle for getting his camera out and getting in my way i will but if you're fine with him being <laughs> next to me we'll be best friends all night but like you tell me what kind what side yeah. of me you want and i'll do it for you <laughs> well you're so very definitely... clear on who your client is so that's good <laughs> yeah <laughs> um Okay, last two questions I ask um, are advice that you would give to a woman joining the military and then advice that you give to a woman um, stepping into business. Um, advice for a woman entering the military, I, I, I mean, other than I wouldn't trade my experience for anything. It was a great eight years and... Um, I think it has been very formative to my entire life, mm -hmm. my personal life, my business life, uh, my entrepreneurial life. Um, I think it was just a fantastic experience. So I definitely would advise if you're considering it, um, you know, it's, it's, there's so many benefits. Um, I would just say that, you know, you would have to also counter that with the realization in this day and age that, you know, when I joined, Back in 1989, women weren't allowed on ships unless they were hospital ships. Um, 
women, I don't think women are still allowed on submarines, but I don't know that for sure. They are. They are now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I got to do a lot of things that were at that time considered very pioneering for women, um, being, mm-hmm. you know, um, deployed with, uh, Marine Corps units and, um, going out in the field and, um, some of the ship duties that I did do, um, were technically not allowed back then. Um, and I, I was, you know, got to be the guinea pig for some of it which i loved it it was great the odds of you going and getting shot at back then i would say are low (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't think that's true anymore um Mm -hmm. and and i i am in favor of women being able to do all the things that men can do in the military um i know there's a lot of discussion about that but like i said in my experience they were brothers to me had no doubt that I could do my job adequately and I had no doubt that they would do their job Um, and I didn't need them to do my job for me I didn't need them to protect me um, Mm -hmm. which I know I think is the fear is that you know if the woman's not able to do their job adequately they're going to be the weak link and then the rest of the team's going to have to take up the slack yeah Um, I think that could be true with any team member and when headquarters Marine Corps asked me what I think about letting women do some of the roles that they are now allowed to do, I said, I think that's great, but you just need to make sure they can do their job. <laughs> yeah. No, no special training. Everybody gets the same training. Everybody passed the same test and if they can do it, then they can carry their own weight and it's fine. Um, so, you know, realizing that you could, the possibility of you going to war, you know, what we traditionally consider war and being physically out there and being in a tank and being shot at and all that, it's a real possibility. Mm-hmm. So be prepared for that. Be prepared for the fact that you're going to have to sign a piece of paper that says somebody else is going to raise your children while you're deployed. That was an eye opener for me. Um, so as long as you're willing to sign up for all that, I think it's a great experience and you should do it. Thank you. That was so good. And, and then, then your last business. question is um, in business, mm-hmm. in, the, in the civilian business world, I mean, sky is the limit. There's, there's truly nothing that you can't do. Um, one of the things that I think I got out of my military experience was confidence and the ability to just sit there and go, no matter what I come up with, I'd be like, I can do that. I can do this. I can do my problem is narrowing down. I want to do so many things. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, narrowing down what that is and trying to, you know, go from the 50,000 things that are in my head that I want to do down to the, you know, 10 things that I actually can do um with the limited uh time and energy I have in a given day. So I mean, anything you can dream up. I I love being self-employed. I love being an entrepreneur. Um, It's really fun. It's really rewarding. The number one question I get asked is, isn't it scary um, working for yourself? Um, I don't find it scary because I know I can do it. Yeah. I know I will figure it out. And even if I make mistakes and fall on my face occasionally, I'm going to learn something and I'm going to do it better the next time. People ask me if it's financially risky. Set aside money. There's going to be <laughs> there's going to be times when the money's not flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my advice is make sure that you set aside money. Um, it's really exciting when you start making a lot of money in your business and you're like, wow, I've never made this much money in my whole life. 
um, I make three times as much self-employed as I made as an employee, and that's wonderful. But you have to take into consideration the fact that, you know, I may have gaps where I'm not working as much. This time of year, yeah. I tend to work less. Jobs get quieter mm -hmm. at the end of the year. The construction industry gets very quiet in November and December. Um, so I work less at certain times of the year. Um, you know, everybody's going on vacation, meetings get canceled, um, new projects don't start until after the first year. So, um, you know, I might go three months of being sort of employed. Um, it's fine. It sounds exciting. It sounds like a vacation, but it's really not because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're working hard to get your next job. There's a, um, a meme that's gone around that's like, everyone wants to be uh, their own boss until they get a ten thousand dollar paycheck one paycheck one month and then five hundred dollars the next month and they realize it's not as fun as you think but you know it that is the realization of it but also just like project and you'll be okay like just you know well be and don't forget about the taxes oh my yeah. goodness get a good accountant um, one that will tell you what your taxes are going to be every quarter well in advance and remind yeah. you to pay them. Um, I've had it happen to me a couple of times where I had, well, I don't have that accountant anymore, but um, it happened a couple of times where she kept telling me, no, 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 you don't owe anything. It's fine. It's fine. And then at the end of the year, she's like, here's an enormous tax bill. That was like my entire savings account. Mm -hmm. Um that was very scary. And that happened mm -hmm. a couple of times. So um, my bookkeeper told me that she has some clients that would that don't want to pay quarterly so that they because they only want to write one check and they would rather write one check at the end of the year with the in Maryland, you get like a penalty, you get additional penalties. tax mm -hmm. for not paying quarterly, they would rather yep. write one check a year and give the and give the government more money than do quarterly taxes that the bookkeeper tells you what to write the check for anyway. I was mind blown. Mm -hmm. I said, do not ever do that to me. I want quarterly exact amount. And hopefully that's it. Like yeah, I'm not giving them any more money. <laughs> <It's> crazy. <laughs> bad, bad money. <laughs> yeah. Well, to each his own, but um, yeah, if, if writing a big fat check at the end of the year, isn't your jam, then I, I recommend paying quarterly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on, Dee. Do you have any like websites you want to share, social media links, anything like that? I, I do. So um, YSPE.co, that's Yellowstone Professional Education is what it stands for, YSPE.co. We offer uh, professional um, coaching and um, training for the construction industry, or really the coaching can be for anyone that's a project manager, project engineer, really in any industry. Um, so get on there. We offer some packages um, for coaching and, and all of that, and we'll help you get your business going, get your career going, um, and give you some focused attention uh, to make sure that you're um, keeping your your career is going on the trajectory that you want it to go on. And if you need construction consulting, Davis Consulting Management Group is dcmg.us is uh, my consultancy. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And it was great chatting with you and um, enjoy your weekend and your holiday season. Can I add one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. 
on if you go on to yspe.co right now um, you can enter into a drawing a monthly drawing for a 30-minute free coaching session awesome so just fill out the information on the freebies page and uh hopefully we'll get you drawn in there perfect thank you so much Dee. thank you bye <laughs>